0: Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. The Black Duck Revival Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Hunters of Color, a 501c3 dedicated to the mission of fostering a more equitable and inclusive community for hunters. Go over to the website, huntersofcolor.org, and take a look at all the resources they have there. They've got a new community platform you can engage with, and I invite you to take a look at the five different tiers of membership that they now have available. By becoming a Hunters of Color member, you join a community of individuals passionate about hunting, conservation, and promoting the message that the outdoors are for everyone. As a member, you'll have access to exclusive events, educational resources, and mentorship opportunities that will help you develop your skills and connect you with like-minded individuals. You'll also be supporting the mission to make hunting and conservation accessible to everyone. Join Hunters of Color in building a more inclusive outdoor community and experience the connection to nature and land in a supportive and welcoming environment. You belong here. You can check out all the good work they're doing over at HuntersOfColor.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This episode was recorded down Louisiana way, down in New Orleans, with Stephen Bateman. down the river forge man it was a it was like a really rad visit man steven is making some really beautiful knives and has a really interesting story and path to that knife making uh but he's doing it just right there in new orleans with his wife and his young son and his his baby girl Uh, he was super welcoming super hospitable had a guest room let me stay in the guest room Got to sing happy birthday to his little girl who turned one that first day I got down there. But just a dude I'd like been aware of for several years. I've been following him on Instagram. Uh, He had sent me a knife uh, a couple years before, right before Turkey Tour. And uh, I just kind of admired his work and uh, the progression of it, just getting to watch it. So. I called him, asked if I'd come visit with him. He was, like I said, super hospitable, a beautiful family. It was super cool. Uh you know, I kinda travel a lot these days. And I'm it seems like I'm always encountering people who's like kids or, you know, off to college or in college or adults. And man, it was it was actually really nice to wake up in a place and it sounded like when I wake up at my house, right? Like little baby making noise, like thumping from feet running around just man it was cool I got to see Steven's whole operation got to hang out got to drink beers probably too many beers uh had a mishap there I think probably a combination of uh this gnarly inner ear thing I got going on and drinking a bunch of beers and it being like 120 heat index while we were down there but uh anyway man we worked on this cool project uh we'll talk more about it in the episode if you've been following on Instagram you've seen some sneak peeks but uh i mean surprise surprise we made a kind of designed a knife together there and we were uh doing some you know just preliminary uh prototyping and man kind of hit the nail on the head right where i'd been thinking about stuff and uh man it's going to be cool so anyway man i'd really like to encourage you guys to take a look at the work steven's doing this is a uh, you know, I don't know if I call it folk art, man, but it's like functional art, right? There's like, there's utility to it, but there's also legacy to it as well, right? And that's something we talk about in the podcast, about that idea of legacy and the idea that this is, he's making something that is so rudimentary in many ways to like the human experience, but he's very much aware of the idea that this could be a representation of him and his work and uh, his worldview, and all the experiences, the breadth of experience that he's bringing to it, you know, if this was found 200 or 300 or 500 years later. So a uh, really great conversation, lots of fun dipsy doodles and uh, bebopping around to get to the points. But uh, really a conversation I enjoyed. So stoked uh, to finally meet and hang out with Stephen Bateman. And you all enjoy this podcast and look forward to that knife release in a couple of months. hey everybody welcome back to the black duck revival podcast uh today i am in new orleans louisiana on a cool crisp autumnal morning that's a lie it's it's hotter than the devil's butt crack here i think the heat index was like 120 today but uh i'm joined or rather i am joining at his uh dining room table one stephen bateman native of this fine city and uh founder proprietor and craftsman at down the river forge uh Stephen and me have been hanging out for a couple days he was gracious enough to let me come down and stay at his house and meet his family and uh work on a cool project that uh we'll probably talk about some and then talk about more in later weeks and months but uh Mr Stephen Bateman, thank you for being on the podcast, sir.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for coming down. This is cool. So looking forward to it. We've been talking about this for a little bit and finally
0: finally happened. So glad to have you, man. Yeah, man. So you have uh you just just recently here in the last couple of hours, you have uh discovered my kryptonite, which is I get stupid car sick and we were going down to buy some po' boys and I just had a vomit fest and then had to like come back to your house and lay down and take a shower and ugh.
1: that is true i wasn't gonna tell anybody but oh he, i'll tell them
0: i don't care man <laughs> no man it's like dude it's uh, hey if anyone's listening to this podcast and you are like an excellent doctor it, man i don't know what the deal is man but like as i've gotten older my inner ear has just gotten crazy and like i mean shoot how long were we in the car 15 minutes 10 minutes uh 25 total round trip probably. But I mean like I got sick going down there, dude. Well look, man, it's the
1: roads. Shout out to the city of New Orleans. It's the potholes, it's
0: the drivers, it's me. No, I it's mean it's the ulti- heat. I mean it is hot, but ultimately it's just dude, if I I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. No, nah, man, something's up, dude. If I if I ride in a passenger seat of a car, dude, like, I get sick, man. And, I mean, I can get away with it sometimes for, like, a little short jaunt. But, I mean, like, five minutes on a straight road. but uh, And, and yeah. shout
1: out Parkway Bakery. That's where I took Jonathan. But he, you know, he didn't need a po' boy. I got a surf and turf dressed. That is some beautiful roast beef debris on top of a, f- you know, golf fried shrimp. Dressed here. Lettuce, tomato, pickle, mayo.
0: And it was Man, I was looking was forward to it. it the whole <laughs> everything about that place too, the vibe of it, man. Yeah, like, it's a cool spot. You could tell man. it'd been there. I mean, it looked like it'd been there for a hundred years, man. Parkway Bakery. Yeah, I think it's I don't I
1: might be the oldest one in the city. Don't quote me on that, but it's it's definitely up there. But it's it's the best one in the city, man. Parkway bakery. They do some crazy stuff. They have one called the James Brown. It's you know, everything's in house. They do a barbecue beef. And they put that over fried shrimp. So, it's a you know, it's a fried shrimp dressed with the barbecue beef on top, and that gets really crazy. I think they put pepper jack cheese on that one, too. So, yeah, they're all great, man. It's a great spot, cool part of the city. And, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to digest that food
0: now. So, yeah. drinking drink a butt-heavy, too. So. I wish I could have enjoyed it with you, man. Uh, but, so, folks – That follow me, hold on, let me tweak this down a little bit, looks like I'm peeking out. Folks that follow me, like, you know, like, we're all kind of in these, like, similar circles, right? So, like, me, Jesse Griffiths, uh, whoever else, man, I don't know. But, uh... What's up, Jesse? Yeah, what's up, Jesse? I know he's not here, but just what's up, Jesse? But so, some folks might already be familiar with Down the River Forge, man. You sent me a knife a couple years ago, a model called a persimmon. Yeah. It was right before I, I went on Turkey Tour a couple years ago. And uh, I know Jesse's, like, a big fan of your knives. I've heard him talk in other podcasts about it. I've seen him post about it. Uh, but, you know, I guess everybody, everyone's got a, a path to, to like, what they're doing now, right? Uh, but yours is, like, yours is pretty interesting, right? Because you, like, yeah. well, let's, let's actually talk about it, right? So you grew up here in New Orleans. Yep. Uh, And then you said you started going to college and then changed directions there?
1: Yeah, so born and raised here, Um, parents are both from here. My son, you know, that would make him fourth-generation New Orleanian, so, um, you know, I grew up, you know, I guess any typical New Orleans kid, just playing sports, Mardi Gras, getting into trouble. You know, drinking a little bit too early, going to to bars, and um, found the outdoors through a buddy named Blake, and that's when I got serious about, you know, hunting and fishing. You know, I grew up fishing in just little bayous and ponds around here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then probably around age... I wasn't driving yet, so probably 14 or 15, you know, heading down to... Venice and Pilot Town. Pilot Town is no more, but you know, really, just you know, that was an eye opener. Just a completely different world, and it's only you know, two hours away, right, from the city. So, do that
0: for my teen years. Uh, Well, hey, let's actually let's uh, let's describe that for folks, man, that aren't familiar with Louisiana. So, like, Louisiana looks like a big capital L, Right. right? And then New Orleans is kind of down there on like towards the toe of it, right? Um, So more of like where the, if you're
1: looking at, let's see, anatomically here, probably like the ankle. Okay. We're like the ankle, right? All right. Venice, Boothville, Buris, you know, all those Plaquemines, it's Plaquemines Parish, all those cities down there, kind of the, the toes, if you will. Okay. And, and you know, Pilot Town at one point being the kind of like the big toe. And that's where the river runs through and you have all those passes, right? All all Southwest Pass, Tiger Pass, um um so yeah, so from New Orleans down there, you know, it's basically due south. Okay, south and southeast Andrew, a little bit.
0: Let's delve into this just a- <clears throat> Just a little bit more because you know, Louisiana, New Orleans, I think probably, <coughs> excuse me, I think a lot of this stuff gets lumped in together. But and we've been talking a bit about the state, yeah. But so, you know, people think Louisiana, I think first thing they think is like Cajuns, right? Okay, yeah, Bobby Boucher, yeah, they think, I mean, people think about New Orleans, they think about Mardi Gras, yeah, they think about, they think about. A lot of the food, but they think Cajuns, right? Right. And so, like, right for sure. Cajuns, as we've been discussing, the Acadians, man, that's like a distinct group from a distinct part of the state right. that is not New Orleans, right? Uh, and then what you're referencing, these like southeastern south parts, right? Like right. that's that's a separate sort of a yeah kind of culture so, and community as well. And and so like Plaquemines
1: Parish, where and I'm not sure – like, don't quote me. I don't know how many cities make up Plaquemines. But those aren't really Cajuns, you know. Those aren't I, – I actually don't – it might be Croatians that settled there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not too sure. But when you – I always say down the river. When I go down the river or when anyone goes down the river to, you know, referring to Boothville, Venice or Buris or that Pilot Town area – that's not really Cajun, you know? Um, so when people do think of, like, people that I know that are not from here, mm-hmm. and I say I'm from New Orleans, oh, like, they try and give me that Cajun accent. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. say, oh, well, you don't have an accent. Well, right, you know, New Orleans is more of, you know, my mom sounds like she could be from Brooklyn. You know, they call her a yat.
0: Sure. My mom's sure.
1: a yat. She sounds. She talks. You know. She's like this. She talks like this. You know. Like that's not Cajun at all.
0: So there's a big. What is that? Is that coming from like the Italian influence here? You think?
1: Yeah, probably like where she's from, like uh, Ninth Ward area. Um, there's a Lower Nine in and in a just a Ninth Ward. The Lower Nine is below this canal, mm-hmm. um, creeping into like Saint Bernard Parish, I believe.
0: Am saying that's, that right? That's the part that. Got really flooded and decimated after Katrina, right? Yeah,
1: so, you know, every everywhere took a pretty bad hit. But, yeah, St. Bernard Parish, uh, Lakeview is where I spent a lot of my childhood. And that's where that 17th Street wall just collapsed. Mm-hmm. And there was a canal running from the lake behind these homes right there in that neighborhood. And that wall collapsed and all that you know all that water just,
0: just went in there
1: I mean yeah they it knocked homes clear off the slab you know so but yeah back to the cajun thing man you, you know i we didn't grow up with cajuns you know that 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 didn't have many cajuns that wasn't around like that was not like a could,
0: cultural reference for you guys huh
1: no not really man you know that's more that's a long I would say, like, the Atchafalaya River Basin. So, like, that entire swamp area, that's where those those French, those Acadians settled all throughout that part of the state. Um, and then, you know, from, God, like, where I just was, uh, Leeville, like, Grand Isle, all those cities, like, that's the end of the earth, right? Down south Louisiana. Next parish over, I believe, from Plaquemines, where I'm talking about Venice and mm-hmm. Boothville, so all those are, are, are Cajuns. Um can trace their lineage back to either France and or, you know, Canada. Yeah. When they got uprooted and found their way down here. So
0: Okay, yeah, and I just like I'll dude, I just like to interrupt people because there's like there's these these points of reference and these culture or cultural touchstones that folks have, man, then like like we fall into it all the time talking about duck hunting in Arkansas, man. It's it's like, this stuff is foreign. I mean, even right. the way that you reference, when you're describing stuff, the way that you're referencing, like, these different bodies of water, these different rivers, yeah. right, these these different basins or yeah. canals and everything, like, that would be, that, that's, like, such a foreign concept Uh to, like, say somebody who is, uh, like, I was just in Utah, man, like, it's it's wild, man. It's like a completely different world. If
1: you're in northern Louisiana, you might as well be in Utah. Sure. Compared to what's going on down here in southeast Louisiana. I mean, it's a completely different world. You know, I was just, I was telling you earlier about the oyster family I'm hanging out with. Mm -hmm. Um, Fourth generation oyster family, the brothers who are around our age are... This is their, uh, going on two years of oyster farming, right? Which is kind of a new concept down here. And their mother's side of the family, I hope I'm saying this right. Mom's side of the family was was French. Oh no. Mother's side of the family was Homa, Homa Native American, Homa Nation. Grandfather was French. And, you know, where where else does that really happen in the states? And it, it's yeah. it's still very much a part of their their culture and their mm-hmm. everyday life. And you know, they're picking up that legacy that their grandfather left, being this outdoorsman and this this oyster guy.
0: And you know, and so he, he was he was doing oyster stuff, but this was like this was wild oysters. Yeah. So. Um, I was just down there two weeks ago. I've been
1: I've been hanging out with them, working with them a little bit, getting you know just hanging out, learning more about the oyster game, and you know his their grandfather who recently passed away. Uh, I think 2021. You know, and they speak very highly of this man. They they looked up to this guy. Um, he would get in a little p-rogue, you know, dugout, old school
0: canoe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was about to say, describe what a P Rogue is for folks.
1: So, a Rogue is just a flat bottom canoe, essentially, that um, you can stand up in, you can push pole in it. So, kind of like push pole is kind of like, um, you know, a good reference point is, is like a, what do you call it, like paddle boarding?
0: Yeah, or like a gondolier in right. Venice and Italy. Exactly. So, you yeah.
1: can stand up and kind of push yourself through, you know, shallow parts of, of the bayou or the cut or wherever you're at. Or go over, like, some aquatic plants. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you can sit down in it and use it as a canoe. So the, the, the petries, Bayurosa Rosa is, is the name of the, the oyster family. Go, go check them out. They're doing great stuff. But their grandfather would harvest wild oysters in his P-Rogue. Like, he was just p through the cut, taking his time, having, you know, having the time of his life and just pulling wild oysters out of these bayous and throwing them into the pierog,
0: and was this for like as a way to make a living? I mean, or this just was feeding the family.
1: That both, both, yeah. I mean, that's how he made his money. That's how he put food on the table, and that's what they ate. You mm-hmm. know. So you know he did that his whole life, and think about that for a second. Like no one's that's one generation away. That yeah. was one generation ago, yeah, yeah, rather. Yeah, yeah. No one's doing that anymore. You're talking, I mean, this guy might have been doing it in the 80s. Right? Yeah. Right. Up until, you know, we talked a lot about it. You know, environment changes, hurricanes, coastal erosion. That's all played a factor into this oyster farming down here, right? That old way of life, like P-Rogue, like P-Rogue oyster harvesting. That that is,
0: no one's doing that, man. (laughs) You know? It's crazy. It, is 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 the reason because there's just a complete want for opportunity, or do you think people have lost interest in it, or one has led to the other? Or? A couple of things. I think it's hard. Mm-hmm. I think people don't want to really do hard shit anymore. Sure. For one.
1: Two, they explained it. You know, it's a it's a lot of environmental factors that have you know changed the entire landscape of the oyster economy here. Um, you know they they put it like this: a little, a little cut or a little bayou or a little canal, a little pass, right? Those
0: oh shoot, man! You know what? Hold on a second. Yeah, we should explain to people what a bayou is, right? And maybe I've talked about it before, but like, a, at its most basic, a bayou is like where a larger body of water meets another. Yeah, yeah, or, like, it starts to kind of, like, run out. It, it You know what I mean? It'd be, like, a giant lake yeah. or a river. More, most of the time, it's rivers. Uh, I always think of, like, in Arkansas, there's, like, Bayou Mita. There's Plum Bayou. There's Bayou Bartholomew. the longest bayou in the world, and that's up in Arkansas. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, looks a lot like this stuff, man, you know? Like, yeah. really great crappie fishing. Sacalea. Sacalea. Uh, uh. Yeah, we do stuff like that. But, so, yeah. So... You're in a bayou, you're in a cut.
1: Yeah, so basically these bayous, just like a, you know, a smaller body of water, to where it was once manageable for someone to go out in a pirogue and, and harvest these oysters. Mm-hmm. Due to hurricanes and coastal erosion, these bayous have now turned into lakes, right? Yeah, because of the. You know, imagine like a canal, right? I think everybody can envision that. Imagine a canal that's, you know, maybe 20 feet wide. Lined with cypress. And- right. And, and just green and, and, you know, foliage and whatever else is out there. One side of that canal gets wiped out and, you know, it basically opens that entire canal up. It's no longer a, a road, right? Yeah. It's, it's wide open. So then that just kind of messes your whole operation up. You're no longer taking the P-Rogue out in this isolated bayou or canal. You're out in the open water now. Mm-hmm. Right? So that kept happening and happening and happening. And then, you know, you can't get out there in the open water and trying to harvest oysters in, in a P-Rogue, you know. So that's and where so we are you, today. So you've, with got this,
0: so you've got this skill set that's kind of faded away. Right. I mean, eroded, if we want to reference the words you're using. Yeah. Uh, You know what, dude? We haven't even. (laughs) Think about this, man. We're talking about oysters. We went down a rabbit hole. I like it. But why you're with. Why you're delving into the oyster thing, man, is like. I mean, so Down the River Forge. uh, You're a knife maker. We're back. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're.
1: I mean, did the. Oh, Were you making
0: the oyster shuckers? first and then that led you to these guys or did they kind of, you meet them and they kind of inspired you to do I think it or you what? asked how i got to this point of making knives in my life yeah that's but, what it was but look this whole thing is this is supposed <laughs> to be a ramble it's supposed yeah. to, we'll get we'll get so there. uh i you know
1: started making just very ugly cleavers pretty much that's what i started to make
0: Oh, no, 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 wait, hold up, hold up. Is wait, that what you asked? No, 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 hold up. We're going like to get gonna to the get, shuckers? No, we're going to get to that. Uh, because now, I'm, now I really want to get into a little bit more of this place. Yeah. And we'll use that to establish, uh, you know, in the narration of this, we'll use that to establish, uh, we'll come back to like, yeah, yeah. your story. Because then you've also got this thing where you're, like, you're very rooted in this place. Right. But then you've been a whole lot of other places and seen a bunch of other stuff. And you've right. like returned here and- And done this thing, but, like... Yeah. So, I'd actually like to circle back uh, to... Because you're referencing these different, like, traditional communities in Mm -hmm. Louisiana, right? Right. Uh, But then we were talking about, like, you're from New Orleans, right? Yeah. New Orleans is, like... (coughs) New Orleans is a very special and interesting place. It's its own little country, man. Yeah, man. And it's, you know, just from some as a From the perspective of someone who's not from here, yeah like it's uh it seems to be like a real kind of microcosm of the idea of america right like I, I had a professor once that said that he said America was not a melting pot, he said America was more like a gumbo, right it's this melange of all these different ingredients and flavors, and like they 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 work together but they still maintain integrity within themselves. And I would think that like New Orleans, right? Like you got the history of the French, the Spanish, the Native Americans, right? Right. Uh, I would think probably most people in the country haven't even heard of Homo.
1: Vietnamese, Vietnamese. Yeah, the German coast. And Vietnamese
0: are like a recent, like from the 70s, right? Right, after uh, the
1: the Vietnam War. But you yeah. have
0: these people that are, that are congregating. I mean, I would think initially because of the Mississippi River, right? Like, this was a, this was like a port town, right? Like, stuff could go up. Stuff could come from the ocean. Super highway, here. man. Yeah. Uh, and then you have this... Then you have European immigrants coming over here. Obviously, there's like a huge legacy of slavery. Right. Uh, and then you have this... And then you have... Uh, what also seems like happened here, especially, in, which is different from other places in the South, is that there was more of like a blending... Of people, you know, like the, the term that they used to use was miscegenation. But like... Yeah, and it's... it's it, it, folks did not stay, for lack of a better term, as racially distinct, right? Like people were intermarrying, people were oh. combining their food, their cultures. Right. You know? You're taking Catholicism and mixing it with uh, animistic religions from Africa that have filtered maybe through the Caribbean, and then that's mixing with ideas of spirituality from, like you said, the Natchez or the Homa or... I I think we did
1: a – not we. I think everyone in those early days, those, you know, in the 1700s, you you hit the nail on the head, man. Everyone was intermingling, marrying, reproducing with different, you know, races, and and it kind of – with that, you get all that – Like, everyone's, um... You get that cultural, like, <laughs> it's Bend not a diagram. collaboration, right? Because that's not what they had in mind. But it kind of worked out like that, right? Well, well, like, there's,
0: well there was definitely, uh, you know, there's this collaboration, perhaps, or definitely not always willing. It's
1: like, hey, let's collaborate.
0: We're going to reproduce <laughs> yeah. together. We're going to create this
1: great cuisine. I don't think that's what they had in mind. But it, it is really like this, it's a, it's a place, unique... It, it's a unique place because, I, I mean, I've been all over, man, and I'm trying to think of a place that I can compare
0: New Orleans to. And I just so happen to be born here and raised here. You know what? You know what? It reminds me of what first comes to mind would be like, uh, like something like North Africa or something, where you've got for a long time you've so got Europe, cans, you've got there. people coming yeah. up, yeah, uh, from. You know, further south in Africa, you've got yeah. you've got uh, the Mediterranean. You've yeah. got like Eastern, like the Silk Road. It's all coalescing in this right. place,
1: trading spices. Yeah, and like, hey,
0: where'd you get this?
1: What do you use this for? And then they just incorporate into their their, their food and their life. The crossroads, like we're yeah. we're we're a crossroads, absolutely. And besides, maybe like New York City as a whole. But we don't really have, you know, we don't have like Little Italy. We don't have a, a, you know, a little Vietnam.
0: You don't have those. You don't have those separate neighborhoods. No,
1: and that's like, well, you know, New Orleans East is very. I was telling you earlier, like the Vietnamese settled out for the most part in New Orleans East, mm-hmm. and it's very Vietnamese heavy, like culturally. I mean, sure. that's that's where they are. So. But no, I mean, like, you know, in New York City, you can go to Little China, and it's all Chinese food, Yeah. right? Or like in certain parts in Chicago, you have Little China, you have Little Italy, and you know on that block in Little Italy, you're going to go get a good, you know, you can go get fresh olives or, you know, whatever you can get in Little Italy, a good sandwich, Italian sub. Here, it's just all kind of mixed up and jumbled everywhere. It's everywhere. So... You might be on a block, and there's great Vietnamese food, and then next door you have a great seafood spot. Uh, that, that's just the story throughout the entire city. You know, there's that's, just great different food everywhere, great different people that's, that make that's up really the neighborhood. That's really
0: fascinating too, man, because like New Orleans in particular has endured this way for like hundreds and hundreds of years, and it seems like there was a... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating it, man, but it, I, you know, and I wonder what it is, man. Cause you also have that combination of like, it's not that this is, it's not that like, there, there, there seems to be like a, in new Orleans, there seems to be, it seems like it, it has historically been, uh, an acceptance of a combination of like, you're talking about a place that's very heavily Catholic, right? Like very religiously, uh, inundated and like culturally formed right but then on the same hand you like new orleans has always been comfortable with vice right there's i mean like this was in the 1800s like new orleans was like known to have like the best greatest bordellos in the country right and like restaurants and just like things that you could you could engage in gluttony if you so desired, right yeah
1: man i mean You sin six days out of the week, you go in church as a Catholic on Sunday, and you just, yeah, you got a confession.
0: I mean, the whole idea (laughs) of of Mardi Gras and Lent and
1: Fat Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, I mean, it's all based around religious ideals, you know? So, yeah, we have, I guess you could say it's a, you know, we're we're just a bunch of drunk Catholic.
0: Dude, you know people what it, who love to eat good food man I don't know it's a crazy mix up it seems like you know what it does it seems to me man is it seems like uh it, it seems like an incredibly human place like these are the things that like humans engage in
1: dude some of the realest people and I've been all over and I was in the military for seven years and you meet tons you, you meet all kinds of different walks of life in the military mm-hmm. right small town big town mormon. Yeah, everybody sure right some of the realest people i know are from right here like we don't small talk well at least my the people i grew up with it's like man i want to know mm. it's like if i see you on the street like i'm gonna be like what's up man And it's not just in passing like i really don't, i want to know what's up and then if you open that can of worms it's like you keep digging deeper you know it's not small talk and it's just it's just real conversation. And it might be for thirty seconds. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like if you go anywhere else Hey man, what's up? Nothing much, how you doing? And you keep passing. It's not the case really here. Like in the grocery store. Everyone's talking to each other. Hey, how you doing? Oh, they're like helping you pick out shit on the on the aisle. You know, it's the same person that cuts you off and flicked you off on the road. Yeah, yeah. But in the grocery store, you're friends.
0: Well, and you know what else, too, is uh, there's like this, uh, you know, like, jigging, that, like, dance style. Of oh, yeah. Here, right? So, I see this stuff a lot on Instagram where it's, uh, so, like, jigging is this, it's, a, it, it's like an That's incredibly. That's like the crazy foot dance. Yeah, it's like, like this incredibly volatile, explosive. Like, almost random looking, but, like, coordinated dance. I could do it. Oh, yeah, I definitely could. But <laughs> but I see I see this a lot, man, and I see this comment a lot, like, uh, on Instagram, man. It'll be, like, white folks in New Orleans are white built dudes different. dudes jigging, bro. Yeah, man. And there's, like, there is a thing that I've seen where there's, like, you know, I don't know. What's the way to say it? There's just, like, kind of, like, a. it's, like, everybody down here is, kind of got, like, swag and style. I mean, yeah, dude.
1: Like, the military, again. Like, I was 20 when I joined and, you know, here in New Orleans, you're playing sports with everybody. Like, I played sports against all black kids growing up. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you meet these people and it, you don't notice it at the time, but, like, you pick up things. Like, if I'm from North Dakota, no hate, shout out to all my North Dakota people listening to this, but, like, you, you don't really have that you don't have that yeah. it's not the same interaction you're absorbing stuff through osmosis so yeah. when I joined the army it was like I I was shooting the shit with all the black dudes yeah you could interact with people and they're like dude you you're cool as shit where are you from yeah. man I was like what like I didn't get it yeah 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 and then you interact with more people it's like oh now I get it like it's the I, opposite of a cloistered community I get man. what you're talking about Yeah. other people don't yeah 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 like how do you know this like well just being around black people dude yeah you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was cool because you get to see like, and they, it, you know, it's just like anybody. If if you can, someone who's not from here, right? And you take the time to like appreciate where they came from, and you you know certain things about where they're from. Mm-hmm. They gonna be like, damn, man, that's pretty cool. Like, how'd you know that? Well, because I'm, I'm picking it up. I'm paying attention. You know, like in travel, like traveling. If you go somewhere and it's totally new to you, but you're picking up, you're paying attention, then later on in life you meet someone from that place you went and you can you shoot the shit with them and be like, Hey man, I really like this uh this dish or this city. Or you talk about a person from their, their town. They're like yeah. That's cool, man. How'd you how'd you know that? Well, I, you know, I traveled there. It's the same with growing up somewhere and just picking up on different different vibes from different cultures and, and just taking all that with you. And you kinda become a little bit of all that, right? You're kinda of, you're kind of a little bit of everywhere and everything you've done. That's how I see it, you know?
0: You know, that's actually really interesting because it's all right, watch this segue, dog. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready for it. So okay, I'm over yeah. Here. So I mean you and you referenced the military, man, but like you're talking about for a lot of people that I've talked with, like the military was their first exposure to like people from different places, different religious backgrounds like just different folks right yeah especially when you're dealing with you know a lot of folks in the military are coming from like smaller places and that could even be like that could even be in a city but you know like like if a a, there's a lot of people that like live in a city man and like their whole life is five square blocks right like that's the entire neighborhood so then then they get this exposure to people so you're coming from a place that like that osmosis that cultural uh that cultural integration is like just the norm here and then you then you move into the military. Yeah. Where like so you went into the army. Yep. Right. And then you end up you end up so I guess what you like first you're like I don't really know much about the military, but you're like you're in the army and then you then you like try out or like you apply for the Ranger school. Yeah. So Ranger
1: School and Ranger Regiment are two different things. But two quick stories about what we were just okay. kind of yeah, talking yeah. about, the military. I won't say any names, but a good buddy of mine, a uh, black fella from South Carolina, we go to airborne school together. Mm-hmm. So it's a three-week course. They teach you how to jump out of planes. First two weeks, it's like they do ground week, and then you kind of learn how to like wear the harness and all this other shit, right? Third week is jump week. You just get in a plane, and you jump, basically, right? So my buddy, black dude, I think he's 18, little town, South Carolina, and I'm like, man, you good? What's going on? Because we're all just kind of like jittery, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, this is the first time I'm ever going to be on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's what's great about the military, dude. Uh, things like that. And then another buddy who I went to basic with, who he was a buddy in basic. I didn't keep up with him, you know, throughout my my time. But first time you'd ever seen a black dude was in basic training. Really? Yeah, bro.
0: That's wild. Man. Cannot
1: make this shit up.
0: Like, he'd seen, like, in real life. In yeah, real life. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is a black dude. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, bro. But, yeah.
0: So, but then everybody comes together, man. It's, like, small town, big town. When you got it, you're, yeah. like, you're in a shared cause. And I'm sure that, like, they put you through that misery and boot camp. And you're just, like, you're holding on each other, man. It's it's cool.
1: It's cool to see that. And you don't really appreciate it at the time. But now talking about it now, I'm like, that. that's cool shit. We need more of that. But, uh, yeah, so I joined the army from here, from New Orleans in 2008 and would ultimately, um, you know, go to airborne school, which was a prerequisite to try out for the 75th Ranger Regiment. Ultimately made it through that. Um, actually went through RIP at the time. What's uh, RIP? ranger indoctrination program and then they changed it to rasp ranger assessment selection program i did both um and i got first time i went straight through and i was a security hold right because you need a security clearance a secret security clearance to work in that unit okay I got into a bunch of trouble as a teenager. It was still fresh in my record. They wouldn't give me a security clearance. They say, come back. I wait around, wait around, long story short. I deployed to Iraq. Come back. Go right back to RASP. Now it's eight weeks long. Before that, it was four weeks long. Okay. Those four weeks were that's what I thought like have you ever seen Full Metal Jacket? Sure. Like that boot camp whole, the the entire movie Yeah 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 Beyond boot camp is like it's it's okay. But like the boot camp portion of Full Metal Jacket, that's what I thought basic training was gonna be like That's what Rip was like insane. Just you know I'm trying to put this in a way that I don't want to talk too much and just because there's still people that work there. I don't want to get (laughs) I don't want to get too far in. But it was it was tough, dude. And and, you know I was like maybe too too scared to quit. Like dudes would I think we started the class like first night. It was like 200 people, and they just say all right, put your head down, and you're just up all night. It's the first night. Mm -hmm. It's like day zero, right? Put your head down. Who wants to quit? And, dude, people just fucking run off. Then you look up. All right, it's like 150 dudes. And then you're just standing there. You're just standing there. You're just standing there. They're like, all right, come back like two hours later. All right, who wants to quit? And they did that a couple of times. So then it's like 100 dudes. So you start the class with like 100 dudes. And then the fun begins. It's like run upstairs, you know, Carry your wall locker down three flights of stairs. Bring it downstairs. Take everything out. Go get your bunk. You get two minutes to go get your bunk. Bring it down. And it's like you, you cannot meet these time acts,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they want to see who Bust their butt to Who's do it. just gonna quit? Yeah, that first day, right? So once you make it past that, like first day, I mean, it it sucks, right? But so I make it through the first time. Security clearance. Don't get the security clearance. Go on a deployment. Come back find out that rip is now rasp and rasp is eight weeks long so going into that i'm mentally fucked i'm like this is eight weeks long now
0: yeah yeah <laughs> it
1: sucked at four weeks and so now it's double so first four weeks are essentially the same as the old rip a lot of, a lot of mind games a lot of up all night you know just trying to make you quit then you do a field exercise, uh, like the end of the first four weeks, uh, called Cole Range. You go out there and it's, you know, you're hitting the wood line a lot, right? Like if you're standing around, there's not a block of exercise going on, they say hit the wood line. You hit the wood line, you're running, God, it seemed like four football fields long, but it's probably like, it's probably a hundred yards. You hit the wood line, you come back, you keep doing this shit, right? So... If you make it through cold range, you're kind of like, all right, I got this this chip off my shoulder. Next four weeks are going to be more geared towards block of instruction that you're going to need to know these skills once you actually get to your battalion, right? They're, They're setting you up for success. We get caught dipping back in the barracks. After cold range, we come back from the field exercise. Like 12 of us get recycled. I get rolled over into the next class, do the whole thing again finally make it through so
0: dude this is like some david goggins shit man it it
1: was uh it was like one of those things where you know after you're talking
0: about like they caught y'all with copenhagen or something
1: yeah we got caught dipping in the barracks you know and during like when you're going through a course like that you are just no cell phones you know Monday through friday you're 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 on lockdown man yeah you're not supposed to have that but a few of us got busted with some dip. We fessed up to it, or to it, and they kept us around, but that means you got to wait another four weeks, and then you got to start day zero. So, started day zero, did the first four weeks again, did cold range, and then finally made it to the second portion of the, you know, the second half of that, and then ultimately made it to Ranger Battalion, uh, deployed to Afghanistan with Ranger Battalion, and then... Last deployment was in 2012 to Afghanistan. And then I was, I reenlisted over there in Afghanistan, 2012. Damn. I was like, I'll, I'll reenlist for three more years. So I do that, man. It was kind of one of those things where I was having fun. I was, you know, loving where I was at, working with great men. Like
0: it was awesome. But this is like, and look, we don't need to go into all the details. But like, this is combat, right? You guys aren't like, you guys aren't like stationed at a base all the time. You're like, yeah, going in, out in, and in the shit, as they call got it. Got to do
1: some cool stuff in in Afghanistan, man. To where you know it was. Uh, I think we did five months. Typically do like a four, a six month rotation. And, I mean, that's why I reenlisted, man. I was like, this is what, this is what the military is supposed to be. This is you know just young. You know, I was yeah. young, but you have just the best you're leaders. Like
0: real-life G.I. Joe. You're like, this adventure. You're, as like, you're in the best shape of your life. you got like a crew of dudes. Like, I, I could get it, yeah. Man. yeah.
1: I mean, and I've never – I haven't had that since, right? Like, being around those group of people, like-minded individuals that all work hard. You're kind of the same type of, like, dude. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm re-enlisted. So I re-enlisted in Afghanistan. Get back, 2013, 14, at this point in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm a little burnt out from all this, I need just a change of scenery, I'm going to go to college, <laughs> right, that was my only plan. Get out, in 2015, um, I had a bunch of leaves saved up, so I got like out five months early, came back home, just, you know, hunting and fishing, hanging out, um, no plans start school that August, move out to San Antonio, go to UTSA, ultimately get my master's degree in government and public policy, 2019, right? So from 2015 to 2019, I was in school. 2018, 2019, I'm traveling, like, going to school, traveling, end of 2019, I'm traveling all over the world, man. Uh, I hit 32 countries. I mean, Colombia, Vietnam, Thailand. Did all of Eastern Europe. Spent like a month in Montenegro. Did cool stuff in Iceland. Just all over, dude. And I made that promise to myself. Like, I'm going to do this now. Because I don't know if I'll ever get to do it again, man. and it.
0: Are you doing this solo? Or are you go, got buddies? You're doing this like with like
1: ninety percent of it was solo, man. Yeah, all of Eastern Europe was solo. Um, I did all of like old, like you know Yugoslavia. Like I did uh, Croatia, Montenegro, Bosnia Herzegovina, Kosovo, Serbia. Um, just rented a car, and drove like. Flew into Montenegro, stayed on this beautiful Airbnb right on the the coast, rented a car and just hopped around like all those, I call it the the old Yugoslavia, right? They all broke up into those countries, but just did all, I mean, just cool part of the world, man. Just tough, good people. Um, Very nice people. So do that for like two years, traveled heavily in 2019. Um, Broke up with the girl I was dating at the time. And I'm like, all right. Um, I have no plan. <laughs> right? Done with school. Yeah. Uh, done traveling. Let's move back home. Move back home. World shuts down. Months couple of months we move moving back home start dating my wife and the mother of my two kids now lovely lady love her to death and working in a kitchen not even making knives yet I'm thinking about it I'm like seriously considering it right this mm-hmm. was like world shut down and I'm like okay I need to start making knives now because we are, we are shut down.
0: Wait, are you thinking? Are you thinking you need to make knives because like it's the end of the world, or just no, is, dude, This is something you want to do, and you got knives. I knew that. I'd thought about it for years, right? Like
1: I think it'd be cool to make a knife, mm-hmm. right? So, I knew that if I could just dedicate, I you know, I, we didn't know when the world was gonna open back up, right? So I said, hey. I'm going to get a little Harbor Freight anvil, a hammer, figure this shit out because all I have is time right now. Yeah. So that's when I started. I started in July of 2020 in the backyard on some old lawnmower blades and railroad spikes that I had collected through the years.
0: So on those railroad spikes, man, are you, I mean, how are you, how are you heating these things? I mean, because you're like hitting them with a hammer and turning them into them Yeah, so, you know, steel.
1: Amazon, I went on Amazon, got a little forge, a little okay. propane forge. Prior to that, I was using a chiminea. Yeah. Put coals in there with a little, like,
0: Diesel fuel or something? Yeah, a
1: little lighter fluid to get it going. And I had like a, a blow dryer rigged up to get some good airflow. Yeah, air yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was like, I wanted to make a knife, dude. Like, I was just going to figure this shit out. So, July 2020, all I have is, in, you know, a little Harbor Freight, like 40 pound anvil, a hammer from Home Depot, uh, some tongs. Actually, I had tongs from the barbecue pit I was using at the time. And. Yeah, dude, just out there beating on lawnmower blades and and railroad spikes all day. Like, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All day, dude. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm just going to start putting this shit on Instagram. I need a name. Thinking about the name for a couple days, and I was like, you know what, just chill. It'll come to you. You know where have I used a knife outside of the military? I didn't want it to be like linked to the military. I think mm-hmm. that stuff's cheesy. Like naming it after, whatever. So where have I used a knife, the most in life, besides the military, down
0: the river. Yeah, down yeah. the river forge. So it's a really it's a really great you know, uh, apropos name. And it's it's cool because it 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 you know it resonates with. I mean, anyone
1: who has ever been down a river, lives next to a river, down the river, you know, it's, you go a bunch of ways with it. It
0: root really roots you in the place that has, like, formed you. Right, right dude, like and that. And that you're making these knives.
1: Right. And and down the river, and I always say this when asked about it, down the river is, is a, it's not just a place, It's it's a way of life, you know, the people down there are hard-working men and women that take pride in the work they do out outdoors. The, you know, hunting, fishing. So it just made sense to me when it came to me down the river, down the river forge. I was like, this is this is cool. Um but yeah, so just really learned how to Beat and manipulate hot steel for a long time. Like, just out there, I'd cut lawnmower blades in half. I showed you that old cleaver in there that yeah. I have in the shop. So that was the first cleaver I ever made. That was, you know a, a, you know, a lawnmower blade cut in half. And just out there beating it, forming it to shape. I did not have any of the equipment, really, that you see in the shop now. Mm-hmm. Um, the first big purchase I knew that I needed was a belt grinder. Shout out Ameribraid I have there, 2x72 variable speed. Uh, it's called the Fastback um, belt grinder. And I told my wife, I was like, once we get this thing, life's going to change. And sure as shit, dude, once I really learned how to get those knives to where I wanted them to look, right, and I've evolved over the three years, but at that point in time, I was like, okay, this looks like a knife. Mm-hmm. Now I can take it to the belt grinder. Now I can sharpen these. Now I can put a handle on and shape it on this badass machine, right? So at that point, I had to move all my stuff to my mom's garage. I was commuting like an hour and a half every day after work, you know, working full time, traveling an hour and a half. I had all my shit in her garage. And at this point, you know, I'm making... A little bit of money, have a job, I can you know invest back into the knife company, yeah, so i'm I'm trying to become more efficient, right, so I'm buying little things here and there that make me a better knife maker as far as efficiency, so I'm doing that that goes on for damn near another year, dude, I'm traveling a year and a half, four days a week, working seven days a week, just to get to that point where I thought I need to be, like driving myself crazy, bro, like stressing out. Never second-guessing myself, but just saying, like, look, man, you need to run through these walls seven days a week. Like, when my son was born, dude, I left the hospital. I left the hospital to go finish Knives Up. Jeez, man. That's where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I was. At that point, I was like, I need to do this because I know in the long run it'll, it'll work out. And I never had a doubt in my mind that it would, and I'm sitting here with you today because it, you know I believe deep down in my heart. Shit like that, like it sounds crazy now, saying that out loud, but that's yeah, dude. My son was born. They brought him into like the nursery where we were, and I was like, all right, do you mind if I leave and go finish these knives? Like people, I I told they'd you know, I told them they'd be out. You know, my son was born December 18th. I had Christmas orders that had to be out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm out. You're going to travel an hour and a half. I just had a freaking newborn. Yeah, dude. Shit like that,
0: that, you know. I mean, that's, that's, uh I mean, not, obviously not that exact story, but that, that idea of, like, committing yourself fully to something, and, like, in a, in a <coughs> especially the idea of, like, trying really hard to get proficient at something right like that's what i do with hunting that's what i've done with lots of stuff man and it it, i have really seen in my life that you can like you can get there if you just try hard enough right and if you're like i mean you got to have a you got to be enjoying it right to to be able to want to do it because it can't just be a suffer fest right but and sometimes it is yeah i mean stuff's hard work but i mean you can get you know, you want to be able to find satisfaction and yeah, validation
1: and, and all that. Well, and that's, that's what you do. You have to, <clears throat> look, unlike most, there's a lot of jobs or hobbies or pursuits that people take on that are very process-oriented. And what I've learned about myself is I love the process more than the outcome. The outcome is just a fucking, that's to reap your your personal satisfaction. I go through all this heartache and like stress and like, man, is this shit going to look good? Is it going to perform? And then I post that picture on Instagram where I'm looking at that knife and I'm like, man, that looks pretty good. But I enjoyed every minute from start to finish. And I think with something like knife making or... Any pursuit that involves detailed process, it's processes. You don't just get to click a button and, and shit happens, right? There's a process. So if you're down with that process and that detailed you know, involvement, step-by-step, step, and there's setbacks, but that's part of the process, right? If you enjoy that, then you'll be good.
0: Because if not, you're going to stress and you're going to quit and you're going to say, this shit is not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's like, I mean, hell, that's hunting. Or it's hunting the way that I like to, man, is like doing hard stuff and, I mean, not every single time. Like, obviously, sometimes you want, like, a comfortable, kind of, like, nostalgic experience with friends or something that's, like, comforting and close. But... Yeah, man. Like, I was talking to that dude Sean Weaver. Uh, he's with Lucky Duck now. He used to be a meat eater. Uh, we, were talking about, we were talking about duck hunting and how, like, I get a lot of validation from going to a new place and then taking that knowledge that I've gained from hunting in Arkansas or, you know, yeah. a few other places and, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, where where would these critters be like whether it's duck hunting or anything. Right. And so like finding where the animals are or like putting yourself in a place that then they show up to man. Like I get a, I get more validation out of that than shooting birds, you know, and like there's an expression I've heard that like with hunting, like the kill is kind of anticlimactic, which is very much how I feel about it. Uh, But that's what you're talking about. That's what you're describing really with this. With with uh, with being committed to the processes, right? Right. Uh, and then because then once you get, <clears throat> once you get to a point where you can say, <clears throat> man, <clears throat> all that puking has ruined my voice. Uh, <laughs> when you've got to a point where you can say like I've gained some, some proficiency, water, uh, then you can like. If so, if you so choose, man, you could spend a lifetime refining it. Right? Well, then, then, well, really, the process starts over because
1: once you get a little better, the process is always going to be sort of the same, right? Like you're making a knife. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not, you know, we're not solving rocket scientific equations here. But it, you know, what, like I said earlier, when you get better, it it almost becomes more challenging in a sense because you see little things. That you can improve upon. Every single day, dude, I see something or something that I did. And I write all that shit down now. So when I go back and make a similar knife, I'm like, okay, what did I do during this stage of the process? Mm-hmm. Let me refer back to my notes. Because that process has kind of changed in a sense because I got better. Yeah. I, I, got, I didn't get – it's not easier, but I've just done it so much now that it's like, okay – final product let me see okay that could be a little better right so let me refer back to my notes next time i make that knife this process is gonna i might
0: skip a step well and also like or just (coughs) expedite the process your baseline is changing right so like i'm real big on like trying to do something the best you possibly can but then like if you continue on that like when i used to like write songs and i mean i guess i still do but when i was like making albums and stuff man like i would bust my butt to do like the best 12 songs I could and put it together but by the time I was done with it like it was it was it was damn near impossible for me to listen to because like I'd gotten better yeah right or like the next one I made like the record before that was like ugh it was like hard to listen to man or hard to to reference the songs because I was like I'd gotten better or I'd I'd found my voice more uh yeah a, a, a saying has always stuck
1: with me and the dude said, you know, you don't do something. And we were this was when I was in the Army. We were doing dry fire drills with a sidearm, with a 9 mil. Mm-hmm. Just drawing it from holster, bringing it here, and there's like a little black dot on the wall. We're just dry fire iron sights. He's like, you don't do something until you get it right. You do that shit until you can't get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I heard that, and I was like... <laughs> Well, that makes so much damn sense, dude. Like, why would I just do it, get it right, and then say, okay, I'm good. So that's, like, what knife making is to me now. I'm not going to just make this knife that I, like, look at and I'm like, oh, man, this is great. No, just keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's not until you get it right. Like, that's, that's the beautiful thing is you keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And you get a little better, you know. What was it saying again? What did I just say? Do don't it do it until you don't do it until it right. you get it right. Do it until you can't,
0: re- you know, get it wrong. Basically, yeah. Build all that muscle memory up and stuff, man. And then, because then you're not putting your focus isn't on the just, stuff that you're conditioned to. So, like, you're starting to focus on these finer points, right? Exactly. You
1: uh, thank you for touching that up for me. No, I no, no. I, was trying to get that.
0: I love it, dude. And it's really like it's a. It's the story of like a lot of the folks that I talked to on this podcast, man. It was like just immersing yourself into something, and i mean you'll you're obviously referencing information and skill sets that come before you, but you immerse yourself into it until like you become part of it and it becomes part of you and like then you've then you've entered that realm of like the continuum of it, right right so like you know, go back ten thousand years. Some dude with a with a whitetail antler tip, and he's like flaking a piece of obsidian or something, right? Like you enter that continuum of it, uh, and then you make your mark on it, right? And then you then you start to, uh, especially with what I've been struck by too, like with something like a knife, right? Like we were talking about, you're you're creating something. This idea of legacy, I'm real interested in, man, and like yeah. you're talking about something that could endure. And endure, right? Like yeah. you could make a knife and your son could have it and his son could have it and his yeah. son could have it and uh Yeah, that's I've been thinking about that a lot lately.
1: Just legacy my legacy, legacy of a knife. But yeah, you know, and that's part of it. The the knife is it's our oldest tool here, man. You know? The The knife. Yeah. Not the knife that we know today, but there was some type of sharp edge. Whether they just hold, you
0: know, whoever had it held something in their yeah. hand to cut down whatever or chop through something, but then they started figuring how to stick it on the end of a long stick and extend their reach, and then they figured out how to propel it with an adladdle and opposable yeah. thumbs. We evolved, dude. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's there's something. Uh, it's like
1: it's a very if you really think about it, nerd out and get deep into it. Like the knife, man. For me to make
0: something that's been here since the beginning of time and we've been using, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, well it's something like you know, well you're talking about something that's like foundational to humanity, man. Like uh, you know what I, you know what I was started to watch the other day? The best thing before sliced bread? <laughs> the knife. Uh,
1: I saw that on a T shirt once, so if someone hears that and they have that T shirt, I can't find you now, please hit me up.
0: You dude you could probably just <laughs> just make Google it yourself, that shit. man. <laughs> uh, but I, I was watching uh, I watched like the first twenty minutes of Conan the Barbarian. You ever watch that? Yeah, bro. Come you know, like man. in the beginning when he's talking about like, you know, our God is Krom. Right. Know, and he's like the God of steel. Right. right. Uh, that's, I mean, and then if you really want to, man, we could get, really get really deep and be like, dude, you want to talk about legacy? You want to talk about continuum, dude? You're banging on some stuff that is like formed in the elemental stages of the planet, right? Like you're getting like into, you're getting into deep, 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 deep layers, man. Uh and then you can take all of that and then, like, have something that is as simple as, like, like you said, cutting, cutting a loaf of bread or, uh, or you know, like, cutting the backstrap out of a deer, whatever it might be, man. Like you're, Everyone needs a knife, dude. Yeah. Everyone yeah. needs a knife. I mean, think about how.
1: I used a knife several times today.
0: Yeah. And think about how many. Think about, like, when, when you got, when there was a better knife. Like when you introduced steel to North right. America, man, like right. what people were able to procure with like a few knives or axes or whatever, it I might mean, look
1: at the old trade, yeah, you know seven- late seventeen hundreds, yeah, knives, tomahawks, hatchets, like those yeah. were the currency, man, they were going up and down that Mississippi, man, yeah, and they wanted all of the steel tools, yeah, like those were. Those were Ben Franklin's. Those were dead presidents back in the day. Yeah. They I mean, wanted but, that. Yeah. That thing's not going to break. No, nah, dude. And that was, you know, you could use it for so many things, dude. A to versatile tool. And here we are still today using the same type of tools. You know, the knife hasn't really changed much, nor has the tomahawk or the hatchet, like the axe, Yeah, you know. So, that's, you know, methods have changed and
0: steels and whatnot. Yeah, but, but the stuff works and we still need it. Right. So, it's cool to be a part of that for sure, man. Um uh, well, hey, man, real quick, dude, before we wrap this up, because I've got to – where am I going? I keep wanting to say patchouli. Ponchatoula. Ponchatoula. Yeah. i got to go up to uh, this evening.
1: That's where the good strawberries come from, man. There's a big strawberry fest there every – Oh, really? I forget what month it's in, but, yeah. Ponchatoula strawberries, man. Yeah, we're past the strawberries, And there's a Ponchatoula pub out there. Hit that place up. Um, other than that, dude, uh, ain't much going on in
0: Ponchatoula, bro. Man, I'm going to go do this commitment i've gotten i'm getting my butt back to arkansas man i Sounds got it's good dude i got processes i've got to invest myself in there but uh this was fun dude i really appreciate all this this was, oh dude no this is thank you so much for cool, letting dude. me come to your house man uh just incredibly generous dude we went and had beers last night and some burgers and i've really enjoyed myself let's uh let's just give them a little so look i came down here because uh we're gonna do a like a knife collab, like a black duck revival down the river forge knife collab. Yeah. Uh we all are gonna love this knife. Too. And we we've been we working on it today out there in this running this fifteen hundred degree forge, man, and when it was like, a hundred degrees. It was yeah, it's hot, man. Bro. But uh yeah, so let's just say that we're doing that. Uh the plan is to have them have them available for folks by duck season, which you know it'd be in a few months. Uh but yeah, dude, I'm real dude, like it's so you sent me that persimmon, like I told you, a couple years ago, man. I've been, yeah. like, looking at this thing, and I was like, man, I wish I wish it was shaped like this. It did, you know, I just had these ideas about, like, yeah. how I'm using a knife and stuff, man. And, I'm, and then, look, here we are, bro. Yeah, Dreams I'm so stoked. Dreams come true, dude. Dreams come true. I'm so stoked that, because it's, like, it, it, the progress we made today, man, and, like, where I'm very sure it's going to end up, dude, like, I think that's going to be something that is not just cool to, like, have like some involvement in but like i think it's something that'd be like i'd be really happy to have and use and like want to have all the time
1: i'm gonna keep one of those knives for myself i
0: I think it'd be useful man it's a great looking knife and for and it'll be look it's like we'll give them a little bit info man it's going to be kind of uh i think there's definitely like an everyday carry component to it but i mean like my idea was like something that'd be great for processing birds but like you know you when you think of bird knives man they're they're so tiny. This has, like, some more substance to it, man. You could – I think that if you wanted to, you could probably skin a deer with it. You could – I mean, you could definitely skin a deer with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, you could break down, a, like, a large mammal. You could – I would feel comfortable with that thing that we – like, that prototype, man. Like, I would be comfortable breaking down a an elk or a bear or whatever, but I also think it's going to be fantastic on, like, ducks and geese and yeah. turkeys, which is, like, really what my mindset was. And then we, like, kind of – we won't give them the secret to it, man, but we, like – we put like a little, uh, I think a real cool addition onto it that'll that will serve people well for years to come. Uh, it's, it's a multi-tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's definitely an aspect of that, but uh, yeah, man. So look again, cool. down the river forge. Why don't you let people know where they can find you and follow you and get your knives?
1: Yeah, man. So on social media, just down the river forge. i only on Instagram, and then I have a great website uh, my wife set up it's beautiful it's got everything you need on there if you want to order something just go over to the website uh, www.downthereofforge.com and then please go sign up for the newsletter and my YouTube page Um, I'm doing some cool stuff around here locally I'm telling some great stories Um about the just the way of life down here, man. And just getting with good people that live a cool life and do some cool stuff down here. So, um, you can hear about all, all about Bayou Rosa soon. I was talking about them earlier, the oyster family. Uh, that's going to be my next video. So please go subscribe to that down the river forge as well
0: on YouTube. Uh, thank y'all. Love y'all. Uh, this was cool, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude, absolutely, man. Uh, been a real pleasure man seriously thank you so much for having me down to your home dude i really appreciate it anytime dude thank you so much for listening all the way through to this episode of the black duck revival podcast Uh, as always produced by brian Sachs and me jonathan wilkins check out instagram and check out the website i've got those hunt dates Uh, and workshop dates are live on the site now we've just got a handful of spots on all the stuff Uh, real quick rundown we've got a super cool duck hunt just for four people very small scale down in central texas we're going to be hunting on the ringo ranch that's johnny ringo if you've seen the movie tombstone he's a guy that uh, doc holiday offers to be the huckleberry to. So uh, this is his family's ranch. He helped kind of found the thing and it's been in his family for six generations and there's just phenomenal duck hunting there. So we're going to be there with Southern Skies, Outfitters, hunting dabblers and uh, divers there on the ranch. Uh, Then that's going to be at the beginning of December. At the end of December going into New Year's and New Year's Eve, we're going to be hunting Sandhill Cranes down about an hour from Houston it'll be a couple days of that. We're going to stay at this really cool historic ranch that we got to stay at last year. Uh, just beautiful kind of South Texas stuff. And uh, man, hunting those cranes is, is pretty phenomenal, dude. It's, if you like goose hunting, if you like field hunting, man, this is like that on steroids. And it, it does. It's something very uh, Jurassic feeling about those birds. Uh, and then also, we've got some uh, really cool workshops. We've got one in October that's going to be with Joshua Lakosh Henson uh, from Oklahoma and the Chickasaw Nation, and he'll be at the lodge there. We're going to do a one day duck decoy carving class. Uh, he's going to take you all the way through uh, taking wood and a block of cork and turning that into a functional, beautiful uh, duck decoy that you can then take those skills and use them uh to make your own decoys and develop your own style and you know just kind of get that much further into the craft and school of waterfowl uh you're going to get some tools to help you do that and those tools are going to be yours to keep uh and i think the price on that's like 450 dollars but uh that's all your materials that's lunch there at the lodge that's uh hands-on instruction i think there's six spots on that and then we also have a wild game processing class that i'll be leading uh i think it's like 150 bucks real reasonable and you just come to the lodge we'll hang out for four or five hours uh we're gonna break down uh example of large game small game and a bird right uh not sure yet if i'm gonna be using domestic analogs for wild stuff but uh, probably a good chance we could have some venison up there and then I'll work you through how to make tamales with this stuff how to make stock how to do like some basic wild game cooking techniques that's gonna make you it's uh, gonna fill out your pantry and your options there right so you're not just doing ground and sausage like we're gonna learn how to make sausage we're gonna learn how to make tamales we're gonna learn how to make uh, start with like a stock and take that down all the way to like a demi-lobs we're going to talk about searing and braising uh, long cooking fast cooking uh, and then we're going to do that with birds we're going to do that with like a small game, squirrels, rabbits the like, uh, and then large game. so we're talking about, you know, anything mammalian, so that'll we'll, we'll work you through it man, that'll work for goats or deer or black bears or elk any of that stuff, so uh, should be a really, uh really full day we're gonna have hors d'oeuvres and stuff we'll be snacking the whole time it'll be real fun and it's just there at the lodge in brinkley so check that out on the website it's blackduckrevival.com also instagram always posting stuff there just black duck revival and please leave a review uh written five stars hopefully five stars if you think we're doing a good job and uh tell people about the podcast we got some really cool guests coming up And I've got some really cool trips uh, coming up for the next several months, man. So I'm going to be around some fantastic people, uh, really interesting perspectives, and in some wild, wild places. So thanks so much. See you later.